With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and you're listening to the Showtime Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. Nice, Evan. I think for you, that was a good one. And keep Thank it you. simple. When I think Showtime in sports, I think LA Lakers. So I think I know where you're going. But first, instead of where you're going, let me tell everybody where I am. I am in the bowels of a big sports arena. No need to mention where, but I'm in the bowels of an arena where the acoustics aren't great. I've got some worrying air conditioner. I've got like, you know, like the... Uh, the, the CPU decks of things that give off the noise and the heat. So if, if the sound is a little bit off, just know that I'm not in my usual spot where my only uh, impediment is the cat litter in the room. <laughs> so just for that, I hope it sounds okay. Um, but you know where things are okay? Out in LA, La La Land, Sunshine. Very interesting deal, Eben Novi Williams. We have Phil Anschutz, multi-billionaire, founded AEG, the sports and entertainment giant, selling his 27% of the Los Angeles Lakers. And when we talk limited partnerships, yes, we, we talk about teams selling 1%, 3 5%, whatever. But we are talking about a 27% stake in not just any old franchise. This may be one of the marquee, iconic sports franchises, not only in major U.S. sports, but in the world. So it is a big deal when that chunk of that team goes on the market. Yes? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a Lakers team that valued in this deal at, a, at around $5 billion, Scott. Uh, that is essentially take 27% of $5 billion. That's around $1.4 billion. That's what some NBA teams would maybe sell for in, in an open market right now. That just gives you a sense of kind of the scale of this transaction specifically. Uh, and some really interesting things we can get into here. The two buyers, Mark Boley, or Todd Boley, Mark Walter, former Guggenheim executives. They are both owners of the Los Angeles Dodgers increasing the synergy there between the two, I would say the two most valuable teams in Los Angeles, the, the Dodgers and the Lakers. Obviously, Magic Johnson is a someone who has a, a relationship with both teams. But whoa, whoa, I got to jump in there. What about the Rams? Ah, the Rams. Good point. So two, <laughs> two of the three most valuable uh, sports franchises in, in LA. Sorry, Stan. Um, but give me a sense. I mean, what, what does this mean for those two teams? Is there an ability for them to start working together. What do we get here now that the business tie up between the Dodgers and the Lakers is, is stronger than it was before? 
All right. So you went right into the, what does this mean? What can they do together? Can I, can I be rude? I don't want to be rude, but can I, can I talk a little bit about why that valuation first? Yes. Is that all right with you? Yeah, all right, for be, sure. Well, as you know, uh, normally when there's an LP, a limited partnership that is sold, it comes with a discount because you oftentimes don't get much say in the franchise. You don't get board seats, that kind of stuff. However, this stake comes with something that is very interesting. That Phil Ansh's stake, his deal with the Bus family, which has majority of control, uh, states that he has the right of first refusal to buy stakes, other stakes, when they come on the market. And from what I understand, um, he chose not to exercise that option uh, for some some that were on when Patrick Soon Shang bought in because he thought the valuation was too high, but he did other times. I was wondering, as I was reporting this out, if that that clause would follow to the new buyers, and I'm told that it does. So theoretically, whenever, if ever, the bus family chooses or any member of the bus family chooses to sell their stakes in the team, and then you wonder, could you get a path to majority control? But uh, uh, Todd and Mark would have right of first refusal on that offering. That is a big deal, which is probably why this did not come with any sort of discount that we're used to seeing. And let's talk through exactly how that works. So let's say 10 years from now, the bus family decides for whatever reason, they want to unload the 66% of the Lakers that they own right now. They go to the market, they find a buyer, they get a deal done in place, written with a valuation. And then they go to Todd and Mark and they say, hey, we have a deal in place. It's for $7 billion. You have a right to match that offer. How does it go? Do they go to, to Todd and, and Mark first or do they get a deal on paper and then go to Todd and Mark and say, okay, match it or not, here's the deal? The answer is yes. They could do it either way. As, okay. as uh, If they go to Mark at first and get an offer, sure, then those terms, uh, they have to go to Todd and Mark to see if it's matched. Or I would guess more likely in this scenario, since they're already your business partners, you would go to them directly and say, can we work out a deal? Or do we need to go to market and get a valuation if they cannot agree? But my guess would be in any future sale, they'd probably go right to their new business partners. I mean, it's it's a fascinating transaction. Okay, now let's delve into what can these folks do together. And in in talking to some executives at, at, at both places, they don't view this as we're losing Phil Entrance because there's a long-term deal in place between AEG and the Staples Center and the Lakers. So this is where the Lakers are going to reside. This is their home. They will be tied to the company AEG for 20-some-odd years. So they've still got sort of that Phil Anschutz ecosystem. Uh, and, and I'm sure if they ever needed something, they could call up Phil and say, listen, we need a little help. Can we, can we run something by you? What they view this as is now they're bringing in more partners, more synergies, uh, more additive things to the franchise in Todd and Mark, who obviously, with control of the Dodgers, now you can look at media, sports betting. What can you do? Synergies of scale. How can you marry parts of these franchises? Marketing, data, fan research, all of that stuff, they can combine now. But clearly, the number one source of revenue, Eben, for sports teams is media. But that's the definition of what media is. And of course, they've got the deal with Time Warner. It's like $9 billion. If it, you know, I'm not looking down right now. But uh, the definition of what media is is changing all the time. Now, if you wanted to create you know, some sort of direct-to-consumer, 
you carve something like that out, I'm sure there would be great demand in Los Angeles and elsewhere for these prominent brands. So I have two more questions here before we move on. The first is about Phil Anschutz himself. Uh, he's the billionaire behind AEG. He owns this Lakers stake by himself personally. AEG also owns the Los Angeles Kings, the LA Galaxy, the Staples Center, etc. He's 81 years old, Scott. Oftentimes, when you see someone that old unloading shares, you can often wonder, is this estate planning? Is there potentially more of his sports assets that may hit the the market? What did you learn in your reporting about whether this is one of more to come or if this is just him getting rid of the Lakers and not maybe other assets hitting the market? Yeah, from what I'm told, this is sort of a realignment, uh, just a recapitalization into AEG, a real allocation of assets into their different platforms, whether it's buildings or ticketing, different parts of the business. But I would always like to hear from the person themselves. And I've only spoken to Phil once in my life, actually. I don't think many have spoken to Phil. So I'll take the one conversation. Um, so it, it's it's hard to know. Um, right now, there has been no word that the other sports teams are up for sale. Uh, I've been told by someone that his wife really loves the LA Kings and loves the hockey. So you know, that might be last on the list of things to do if he is looking to unload things like, you know, let, let's keep let's keep the wife happy. Um, so that, that I mean, that is all we know. That is what is explained to me right now that it's just and I know they're personal holdings, So it's not as like the money has to go back into AG, AEG. But that is the way it was explained to me that uh, it'll be a, a, a recapitalization back into different units of AEG. And let's talk real quick again about uh, Todd Bowley specifically in here. Uh, people who listen to our show will recognize the name. I feel like we're talking about him more and more almost every week at this point. He had a SPAC that acquired Vivid Seats, the secondary market ticket site. He had a SPAC that was close to acquiring Sport Radar before that deal fell apart. His Eldridge Inger Industries has equity stakes in DraftKings, in Epic Games, in Venn, in FIBO. It seems like he, in addition to the Dodgers, is building a really big on a level that we only see with a few other owners in sports, Ted Leonsis comes to mind, building a big kind of cross-discipline uh, sports portfolio here. Understanding, and we've heard this from several of sort of the world leaders in sports and entertainment, Eben, that these are platform companies, right? They're not just sports teams. And we know the Dodgers had sort of an accelerator um, in Elysian Ventures. Uh, they are looking to invest in companies that they will then utilize and can scale outside of sport. Yeah, Todd is is one of the leaders in, in this platform business of sports teams. So it's not a surprise that he would look to add. And by the way, it would not surprise me if down the road, this sports and entertainment conglomerate gets even bigger. I'm not sure what the holdings will be, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if he adds, uh, whether it be something in sports betting, tech-related, data-related, just not surprised at all. So from one sports team as a platform to another, let's change topics here. In 2016, Scott, Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots, he announced that he was spinning off the market, the analytics uh, and data portion of his, uh, of his company, spun it off into Kraft Analytics Group uh, in 2016. Five years later, some news came out on Kraft Analytics Group this week. They are taking their first ever strategic investment uh, from a pretty big Wall Street bank. Scott, what is your takeaway here? Well, before we get, I'm, I'm going a lot of this before we get to that, Eben. 
And I have told CEO Jessica Gilman this many, many times that I think it's one of the most creative names. So if you're Craft Analytics Group, K-A-G-R, Kager, but obviously also a a finance term in compound adjusted growth rate, Kager and Kager, I think it's just one of the greatest names out there, right up there with the information, Uh, Just Lessons uh, tech site. I think it's, I just think those are- And up there with Sportico. And well, of course, I didn't (laughs) think we needed to mention Sportico, of course, right up there. Yeah, but uh, obviously the interesting part here is the way it was explained when when this came out is that JP Morgan Chase realizes that plenty of their customers are in the market to buy sports teams and sports related assets and that could be sports betting it could be tech it could i mean we we go on and on on the list everybody's looking for the same stuff but they realized that the value of the data not only to themselves when they were sort of looking at different assets but how the clients view it, that they value data. So rather than just go out and pay for it, and this is exactly what we're talking about with these teams, why should they pay for, let's say, a ticketing company, just the services, when you could out, you know, go out and buy it, use the tech, and then scale that business outside of your own? You get the sense that's what it's doing here. They're trying to give themselves an advantage, Jamie Dimon's troop is, in these sports deals by having an inside, closer look at the data that perhaps the customers would want. When Alex Rodriguez put together, was was part of a group that was looking to buy the Mets last year, they hired JP Morgan to do this exact thing for them, to, to kind of look at the industry, look at what they knew about the Mets, take as many data points as they could to maybe help make an informed decision about where baseball is, where the league is, and where the Mets are specifically. And this makes sense to me, Scott. It seems like a lot of the same numbers that Kraft Analytics Group uses to help its teams, whether that's ticket sales information, whether that's concessions, parking, sports betting, fan surveys, all of those things that help sports teams, college sports, ticketing companies like on-location experiences, all of those are are partners of Craft Analytics Group. All that data that helps them can also very easily be used in helping investors put proper valuations on teams, decide if they want to buy it, and if they do, how much they think the asset's worth. Yeah. And you know what else JP Morgan was, was hired to do for A-Rod? It's, it's sometimes the most important piece, not just the data. Provide money? <laughs> yes. they were There you go, Mr. <laughs> Novi Williams. JP Morgan Chase was hired to raise capital, <laughs> which is always a very important piece of these puzzles. And you'll notice we haven't seen a closing of the Minnesota Timberwolves sale yet, right? We have not, okay. no. Yeah, ex- exactly. So you, you, you wonder what's going on there. Um, maybe there's a search for a little capital as well. It comes with no inside knowledge, but uh, that that announcement did come a while ago. We've not heard of a closing of that deal yet. So just thought I'd bring that up. But we've heard it a million times now, Evan. Data, data, data. And uh, we followed the Kraft Analytics folks as they tracked like fan return data. They did it market by market from the beginning of the pandemic all throughout. So it was fascinating to see sort of the trend lines in different cities. They broke it down in different ways, um, political leaning, uh, socioeconomic. It was just it was the one spot I could go to and had that historical data to see where things were in terms of the the people's decisions on whether they would return to sporting events at a particular time. So um, data, data, data. Everybody wants it. The more you know about your customer, the the more valuable their eyeballs become. 
if they were looking at data of Nike's share price over the past week, look up and they, to the right. They would <laughs> they would have noticed a pretty sizable jump at the end of last week. Scott Nike declaring its year end earnings at the end on Thursday. Uh, the share price hit an all time high on Friday on the back of I think two maybe main takeaways here. One. Jordan brand sales jump 31% year over year and Nike direct it's direct to consumer business, something that the company is all hands on deck pushing right now. And, and, and we can talk about the data involved in that. Also, both those things did much better than analyst expectations and it pushed Nike to all time highs. Yeah, this is more your world than mine, but go ahead and tell me about what was it a few years ago when you went down to the Nike shop, right? And you had to download the app and it guided you through the store and here we go again. It's the data. They want to know what you bought, when you bought it, how much you were willing to pay. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised if there's beacons in stores, they'll know what else you picked up, what else you considered, where did you stop for 30 seconds, what did you breeze right through. But the more they know about the customer, the better. And it's clearly uh, doing well for Nike because those earnings were through the roof. No question. And, and and people have probably read stories of mom and pop shoe stores or even big companies that are losing their Nike accounts in the past few years. Nike has made it a point to severely cut down on the companies it works with to sell its products because it doesn't get, if it sells a shoe in Dick's Sporting Goods, it doesn't get as much data and as much information about that customer than it does if it sells that shoe on Nike.com or through its app. So Nike is really curtailing the amount of other companies it works with and, uh, and the same tokens got really beefing up the ways that it does direct to consumer, whether on Nike.com, at a Nike store itself, or through the Nike app, way to do those sales. And so much of what Nike is developing from the shoes that are, you know, electronically laced that also transmit data to the user and to Nike, all the way through the, the retail experience at Nike stores, as you said, you pretty much need to have the app open. To, to work your way around uh, a Nike store right now. They don't even carry that much product in the store itself. A, a lot of the purchases that get made at those stores are people that are seeing things on a mannequin or seeing things in the store that they are then buying off Nike.com normally. So so is that a cost savings in terms of footprint and staffing? And um, But I don't know. I mean, maybe I I'm think just, it's everything, yeah. Maybe I'm the old fogey and you, you tell me what what's that experience? I mean, I'd like to sit down on the little comfy stool and say... Can you bring me this in, in an 11 and 11 and a half? And then, which, you know, if I like it, I, you walk around the store a little bit and then you leave with it. The inability to wear it there, try it there and walk out with it. I, I don't know if that sits well with me. But again, I also understand that I'm not on my Xbox playing, you know, like my son. And, and they certainly have a different approach to retail and e-commerce. So I don't know if you use that that uh, example intentionally, but but that experience is exactly one of the things Nike is trying to eliminate. They, I know. They, 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 they they're trying to eliminate me. <laughs> yeah, they, they partnered with a tech firm, I guess at this point, two years ago to create an app that would measure your foot, both your feet, from the comfort of your own home so that you know exactly how big your left foot is, exactly how big your right foot is. If you need two different sizes, you can do that on Nike.com so that you don't ever need to go into a store, sit down on the thing, have someone put your foot in a Bannock device and measure it and then decide what, what shoe is going to fit for you. So again, that's a perfect example of the, the kind of thing that Nike is sitting at in their offices in Oregon and saying, we can maybe do this easier, make it more convenient for the customer. And oh, what do you know? 
when you do that, we have you know, the size of your feet uh, and, and, and they're, you know, the, the exact mapping in our system data forever. Uh, so yes, the, a lot of the in-person experience, a lot of the kind of traditional retail shopping experience is all things Nike is trying to move to some kind of digital realm. By the way, huge high marks on knowing the official name of that doohickey, that measurement doohickey. I remember you wrote a story about it I years did, ago. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't have remembered it, but you obviously have put it in the medulla oblongata and can like have instant recall. That is some awesome stuff. Tell me about Sports Illustrated and gambling. Again, this is your bailiwick. You know way about, more about this than I do. Yeah, so I've been tracking this one for, for a few years now. Sports Illustrated has been in the market looking for a gambling partner. They finally found one last week in 888 Holdings, which is a uh, overseas. It's a, They're based in Europe big in both sports betting and in online casino play. I think of this deal between 888 and 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 Sports Illustrated very similar to what I think about the deal between Barstool and Penn National. In that Penn National has a is a gaming company that has infrastructure they're they're able to do online games etc. They don't have a huge name recognition right now in the country. So they went to the market looking for a content company that was big in sports that was going to be able to lend its name and, and lend kind of an, uh, a built-in follower base to their product. They found Barstool and the Barstool Sportsbook launched. 888 is going to do something very similar with SI. The, the SI Sportsbook is going to launch from what I've been told before the start of the NFL season. Uh, they will use SI's name, obviously, as the, as, as the front porch to their product. They will also be integrating, I'm sure, a lot of the content that Sports Illustrated and uh, that the Sports Illustrated puts out on a daily basis. They are essentially relying on the idea that Sports Illustrated is a name that means something to a lot of people in this country and that it might be usable as a license, licensing the name itself to help pitch sports betting. Well, it would certainly be better than 888, but silly question, is that because eight is a lucky number in China that they get a lot of gamblers in Asia with the 888? I don't know exactly the the origins. I know they're they're licensed in 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 Malta, I believe, maybe Gibraltar. Um, they have a big executive team in Israel. I don't know exactly the origins of of eight eight eight. Some little deep, deep deal points we can get into here, Scott, real quick. Uh, there's some cash changing hands up front. There's obviously a, a performance uh, benefit in here. That the better that the SI sports book performs, the better I think it's going to be for both parties, but certainly better for for authentic brands, which own Sports Illustrated. And then there's also an equity stake, that, that 4.99999% right equity below the limit. stake, right below the some of the li- the licensing and regu- regulatory limits. Um, that's that's how much that, that, that the authentic brands is getting into 888's US commercial business. Uh, so yes, there's equity piece, there's cash, and then there's some kind of financial incentive for both these groups to, to work together to make this product as good as it can be moving forward. All right. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on the Twitter at Soshnick. Our social media editor, Cora Veltman, loves for me to remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.